Hello everyone, and welcome back to Fear. In today's episode, we're going to continue with the Man in My Basement takes one step closer every week. We're going to do part 10, 11, 12, and 13, and then we'll be fully caught up to where the author is now. So without further ado, let's get into part 10 of The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week. You can leave the house, but never sleep anywhere else. As I drove down the highway, theories buzzed through my head like a swarm of locusts. Did Paul kill Zack in a drunk driving accident? Did Paul wire up the shattered coat rack, crawl through the tunnel, set it back in my house? Was Paul a servant of the intruder? Was I becoming a servant of the intruder? After my clusterfuck of a vision, at least a few things made more sense. Not only was the intruder connected to its victims, the intruder's victims were connected to each other. Maybe it was some kind of hive mind. Maybe it was turning people into intruders themselves. At this point, it seemed like anything was possible. And the way Paul's eyes moved outside the diner all those days ago, like somebody had jumped into his head, taken a quick look around, then jumped back on again. Now I knew that it was me. I'm the one who jumped into Paul's head. The nightmare logic or everything made me nauseous, like a carnival ride with no exits, a paradox web of chaos and madness and answers always hiding one step out of reach. Above all was another question. Exactly who was the supposed old friend in Paul's house? The person who owed a favor? The person he was taken care of? Was it my childhood friend Zack? During my sporadic visions, I saw a green bike through Paul's eyes. The exact same green bike my friend Zack was riding when he supposedly died. Did Paul hit him all those years ago? Did he find Zack's barely alive on the side of the road, bring him back home? Was he keeping him alive to this day with his crazy medical equipment and military training? Did the timelines even match up? It was possible, but crazy to even consider. What are the chances? Paul happened to live across the street from me all these years later. Was the intruder orchestrating everything from the start? Perhaps this entity had been involved in my life far longer than the last few weeks. Now that I thought about it, there was a vague familiarity about everything. Almost like deja vu. Like that feeling one gets around death. You'll know if you've ever su survived a bad car accident or faced something potentially terminal. You see part of the abyss. You finally realize, maybe for the first time, that at any point you won't exist anymore. You barely exist to begin with. In the words of Max Schumacher from Network, Death becomes a perceptible thing, with definable features. Before all this, I will never really fear death. There were times I welcomed it, that's easy to say when it's sitting off in the distance, caged behind bars. But when the end of everything is standing just ten feet away, looking you in the eyes. My phone started buzzing in a cup holder, slowly spinning around as the screen lit up. I pulled into the parking lot of a nearby gas station. Buster's better gas. I parked the car, grabbed my phone, and called the missed number back. Bradley? said the voice on the other end. Brandon? Oh, Brandon, doe. It was Howie, of course. What's up, I said. Not much, just, uh, checking to see if you're okay. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I'm fine. Just been running some errands. Oh, you weren't here last night? No. Huh. What? Well, somebody tore down your... art thing. Art thing? I've already forgotten about my excuse for the barricaded door. The basement door, he said. Whole thing's gone. Frame two. Oh. I said, trying to sound calm. Yeah, I, uh, paid some guys to take it out. I lied. Middle of the night? Yeah, I guess so, if that's when they showed up. I went to bed and the door was there. 
and I woke up and the door was gone. I guess they were quiet, I said, the lie growing more absurd by the second. Yeah, I'm a light sleeper too, he chuckled. Anyways, how he continued, I'm just calling to ask to see if it's cool to crash a few more weeks. I'll pay your rent once I get the money. Yeah, Howie, don't worry about it, I said. That's it? Yeah, see you, Brandon. Thanks again. It really means a lot, man. I hung up. Fantastic. Now the basement door was gone. In the confusion, I still hadn't realized my violation of Rule 8. You can leave the house, but never sleep anywhere else. My thoughts drifted back to Mitch. He knew a lot more he was letting on. I still didn't trust him, but I trusted him more than Paul. Low bar, I know. I pulled up my phone and dialed his number. Five tones rang out, straight to voicemail. Mailbox full. I called again. Same thing. I called again. Three tones rang out, then silence. He cut the call short. Mitch was ignoring me. I took my phone away and stepped out into the parking lot. Inside the gas station, I bought a cheap burner phone and a pack of smokes. Sure, I quit a few months ago, but I needed something to calm my nerves. Besides, I'd quit again after this pack. Stop judging me. Back in my car, I lit up a dart and called Mitch on the burner phone. He wouldn't recognize the number this way. I hated being stalkerish, but my life literally depended on it. Three tones rang out and Mitch answered. Hello? Mitch, please don't hang up. Silence. And then... What do you want? I'm sorry I spoke with your... I stopped myself from saying dad. With the neighbor, I just... What do you want? Said Mitch, losing patience. I just need to talk. One more time, in person. I don't know, he sighed. I've already said too much. Just keep following the rules. Ignore everything else. Mitch, please, I'm literally losing my mind here. Just one more talk. What'd you tell the neighbor? Barely anything. I just said, you know what? Never mind. He sighed again. 3056 Baker Street. Ring me when you get there. He ended the call. Mitch lived about 40 minutes away in a small town off the interstate. One of those towns where Main Street's nothing but a graveyard of pre-Walmart family shops. Survival of the cheapest. I pulled up to an old and gray concrete apartment building that looked straight out of the Soviet Russia. This was the place. Lugging my crutches out of the back seat, I climbed out of the car and shut the door. Thanks to crashing the roadside barrier, a heavy indent was scraped in the side of my car. Great. I double-checked my pockets. Phone. Check. Switchblade. Check. I brought my chrome switchblade everywhere now, just in case. It was already dark out. The days were getting shorter. The air was cold and my breath was foggy. I crutched up to the building and rung in Mitch's room number. Rubbing my freezing hands together, I waited. The door buzzed open. Mitch's place looked early 70s to me. Open design, cut down the middle, half kitchen, half living room. Between them, a bar with rickety stools. Mitch looked a little better than the last time I saw him. Still tired, though. Hey, Mitch, I said, forcing a smile. Silence. Mitch stood about six feet away. He half smiled, strode back into the kitchen, and started scrubbing dishes in the sink. I took off my coat and pulled the door shut behind me. Mitch scraped grime off a cast iron frying pan. His back turned to me. I walked up to the edge of the kitchen and looked around. His place was tidy, like a hotel room. What did the neighbor tell you, said Mitch, referring to his father? A lot. You believe him? I don't know. Mitch sighed, tossed the dishes down, and turned off the sink. Shaking water off his hands, he turned around and leaned back against the countertop. So, what do you want from me, he said, wiping his hands on his shirt. I have some questions, I said. Some, 
was an understatement. Okay, shoot. Um, I don't know where to start. Last night, I almost ran into a bear. Swerved, hit my head on the window, almost blacked out, and then... You snapped into other people's minds? Saw things from the past? Maybe in the future? Said Mitch, crossing his arms. I looked at him, surprised. Yeah, I mean, more than that, but... Mitch shook his head as, as if to say, I expected as much. What does it mean, I said. Look, what you're doing right now, you being here, this whole rabbit hole of finding the truth, it's not healthy. The more obsessed you get, the more crazy you become. The crazier you are, the easier it is for him to control you. Control me? Mitch ignored the question. Stop expecting some priest or medium to come in and explain what's going on. Nobody's going to show up and tell you how this spawned from an ancient curse or some other bullshit. The only way to kill is to sacrifice a dog or pray to Jesus, he said mockingly. That's not what this is. You can't reason with something that doesn't think. The only thing you can do is keep following the rules and put off some time between now and... He trailed into morbid silence. If you think this is going to end, all tied up with a neat little bow, you're going to end up severely fucking traumatized. As if I wasn't already. Mitch looked up at the ceiling, considering his next words carefully. There's a good reason I've been so vague about everything. The more involved you are, the more you know, the more you share, the more you search for answers, the more it slithers into your life, into your thoughts, your dreams, everything. Mitch rubbed his jaw. I barely escaped it myself, he said, looking across the room staring at the door behind me. I glanced back over my shoulder. There was a floor-length mirror on the door, partially obscured by my coat. After it took my dad, Mitch continued, I almost got pulled in. I started researching, investigating. That's when the vision started. Look what happened to you in the car? The intruder feeds you these little snippets of random moments. All of them feel like they might be connected, like they should have a reason. And maybe they do. But just because something had a reason doesn't mean it's a good one. What's going to happen to me, I said. It's already happening, said Mitch. You're becoming a servant of the Tulpa or whatever it is. The worst part is you'll still feel in control, but you won't be. Soon enough, you start breaking into people's houses at night, leaving coat racks in the basement, just like my dad. Maybe you've already done it, and you forgot. Then you'd be telling people not to worry about it. Tell them to work on themselves. Tell them there's no such thing as ghosts. How do you know all this? I don't. It's all theory. At the end of the day, who the fuck knows anything about anything? Who knows what Tulpa wants? Maybe it feeds off the chaos. Maybe it's working towards something bigger. I don't know. I don't want to. How did Paul really die? Mitch grit his teeth. Then he just stared at me, shaking his head. Eyes filled with... Fuck you, you really want to know? When I was a kid, he said, after mom took us and moved away. A few years went by and dad started getting his life together. Stopped drinking, stopped leaving creepy notes in people's shoes. Got on some good meds, etc. So mom, after some gentle pushing from my sister, calls him up. Asks him out for coffee. Mitch went silent. Eyes flicking back and forth across the wall behind me. That same night, after the phone call, dad gets shit-faced. Drives up to Ballery Cliffs. Same lookout he and mom used to go to stargazing at. Mitch grimaced. So he drives full speed towards the cliff edge and slams bumper first into a barrier post. He shook his head. Believe it or not, he wasn't the first person to drive a car off the Ballery Cliff. City put up the post a few months prior. Mitch pressed his tongue on the side of his cheek, thinking. So anyway, dad's still drunk as hell, passed out, face in the airbag. Mitch pushed off from the counter, stepped over to the table, Pulled out a chair and sat down. Gas leak catches fire. Dad burns alive. Mitch tapped his knuckle against the table a few times. Police said he was out cold. Didn't feel a thing. 
but I knew enough to know that wasn't true. Saw a photo of the corpse in accident. Mouth wide open, Mitch opened his own mouth to show. I'm no expert, but people don't generally scream when they're asleep. Mitch slapped the table and ran his hand back and forth a couple times. So we make arrangements to sell Dad's house. It's the weekend. We're moving stuff out and then... He paused. Looked directly at me. There comes Dad, riding a brand new motorcycle. He's all confused, too. What are we doing to this stuff, you know? Mitch breathed out his nose. Said he was on a trip out of country. Of course, Mom loses her mind. Hell, we all lose our minds. Dad's back from the fucking grave and all. Mitch looked away, his eyes watering slowly now. He stamped his foot against the laminated floor. The coroner's report, the police, it's like none of it ever happened. Mom was hysterical, screaming at the police station saying they were trying to gaslight us. They weren't. Documents never existed. At least not anymore. State almost took us away from her for insanity. So she stopped talking about it. We all did. Telling people you believe in ghosts lands you in an awkward conversation. Telling people your dad is back from the dead lands you in a psych ward. He scoffs. The thing that's really fucked with me, aside from the obvious, was his hands. Mitch held up his hands and spread his fingers. Ten fingers, including one he shot off in the basement. Mitch looked at me again. This thing bent reality over us like a fucking wire. Like it bumped into a parallel world or something. Mitch looked away again, staring at the kitchen cupboards as he spoke. Dad or whatever replaced him kept trying to reconnect with us. But we wouldn't have it. Moved cross country. Cut off ties. Mitch sighed. Things got a little better after that. Distance helped. Especially back then. He trailed off into silence. What made you come back? I don't know. Guilt? Maybe? Morbid curiosity? Why the notes? I started asking around his neighborhood, little profile, if people had seen anything, heard anything, you know, off, about my dad. Everyone there was so fucking weird and similar, weird tics like Mitch rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb to show, people unable to remember basic words, their eyes lighting up randomly and looking around as if somebody else was in there. Same stuff I noticed with my dad. Like the thing his basement was spreading, taking over the whole neighborhood like a virus, he said, shifting his weight slightly. How'd you figure out the rules? I didn't. I mean, not fully. Those were just things that seemed to slow it down. At least in my dad's case, before we left him. I found it all scribbled up in a napkin. Dad, for all his flaws, he's really fucking smart. Logical. He would have tested things out. Experimented. Figured out exactly what the entity reacts to, doesn't react to, etc. So all this to say, the more you know, the more he controls you. I mean, it's only a theory. And I'm basically fucked no matter what I do. Mitch stepped up to the table, strove, strode over to the kitchen sink, and stared out at a brick wall view. He sighed. Look, Brandon, I should have been more honest with you before, but you want to know the truth, right? Yes. This has been over and done with from the start. I didn't respond. Ever since you snatched the coat rack in half, he continued, it was game over. I blinked. He looked back to me over his shoulder. I didn't tell you that because I didn't want to make you panic. The more calm you are, the more sane you are, the longer it takes this thing to get a hold of you. Get a hold of me? You're becoming part of it now, just like my dad, just like the neighbors. There's nothing I can do to stop it? Mitch shook his head and looked back at the, out the window. You should leave, he said. Posture slumped as he set his hands onto the countertop. But I still don't. Leave, he snapped, his voice booming with surprising loudness. I shook my head, crutched back to the door, pulled on my coat, and wrapped my hand around the doorknob. Thanks for the help. 
I said, voice dripping with sarcasm. I turned the knob. It was locked. Weird. I unlocked it and tried again. Still locked. Uh, Mitch? I said, looking at him in the mirror on the door. Mitch back turned, now with pin straight posture, stood in the center of the kitchen now, hands covering his face, like somebody playing peekaboo. Mitch? I said, looking back over my shoulder. Suddenly the room shifted darker, but the lights didn't go out. Like a camera shifting aperture, everything dimmed into a slow motion nightmare. Mitch's left hand shot straight up into the air, as if being pulled from above. Then his right hand, both hands straight up in the air, standing up on his tippy toes like a cursed ballerina. I watched in wild horror, paralyzed. Suddenly his arms dropped to his side, like an invisible straitjacket was wrapped around him. He stood there, motionless. Then he burst into coughing, hunched over and staggered towards the sink, rubbing his forehead as he went. Thank God his body language is normal again. You okay, I said, taking a few careful steps forward. He threw a hand up, motioned me to stay back. I did, but his desperate wheezing and coughs only grew worse, like he was choking. He thumped his chest until finally, something flew out of his mouth and plopped into the dirty sink water. I'm okay, he said, gasping of breath. I'm okay. I glanced back towards the door. Mitch, back still turned to me, plunged his hands into the soapy water, fishing around for whatever came out of his throat. He froze and his eyebrows raised. Slowly, he lifted something out of the water. An object about the size of a ch- of chapstick, but I couldn't tell what it was from this distance. What the fuck? Miss Mitch whispered. His hand suddenly swung to his sides again. The object flew to the floor, slid across the kitchen, and slowed to a stop in front of me. It was a dismembered finger. What the fuck was right? Mitch staggered back from the sink. Seven quick steps. He straightened up in a pin-straight posture again. Tried to speak, but only gargled whimpers escaped, like he was being suffocated. I stepped backwards to the door, eyes darting around the room for another escape. There was no balcony, but I was too many floors up for that anyways. What the fuck? Mitch screamed. What the? His voice cut off in a choking mess. Suddenly his throat swelled up, like something was pushing on it from the inside out. His head snapped back, forcing him to look straight up at the ceiling. And then something pushed out from his mouth. Several somethings, long and wriggling like worms. Fingers. Long fingers slid out from his mouth and wrapped around his face like leeches. Gaunt hands, unnaturally large, squeezed together as they wriggled their way out of his mouth. Pig-colored skin like a face hugger. The same hands I saw wrapped around the coat rack all these nights ago, pulling his mouth wider and wider until it started ripping at the corners of his lips. Enough was enough. I spun around and shouldered the door, using all my weight to crash into it again and again, all the while witnessing the horrific sight behind me reflected in the door mirror. Hidden by the shadows, something tall and fetus-like was climbing out of Mitch's body, naked and dripping with guts. Pushing was left of Mitch's skin down like something climbing out of an undersized wetsuit. Finally, the door broke open. I stumbled in the hallway and slammed into the opposite wall. One of my crutches fell back into Mitch's apartment. Goodbye, crutch. A single crutch the fuck out of there. But the hallway is different now, stretching out for eternity in both directions, growing darker and darker. I didn't have time to think about it. I just kept pushing forward, hobbling down the increasingly narrow passage. Behind me, the sound of staggering footsteps getting closer all the while. That's when I realized the hallway's increased length was partially illusion. A forced perspective, miniature gradually getting smaller and smaller as it went. I kept pushing forward, the ever-closing ceiling scraping against my head, forcing me into crouching, forcing me onto my hands and knees, crawling through this miniature apartment hallway as the walls and whatever was chasing me inched closer and closer, 
The smell of burnt hair and gasoline growing stronger all the while. Darkness. The air changed from dry air conditioned cool to humid and dark. I didn't care. I just kept crawling, shuffling forward bit by bit, my back scraping against the dirt ceiling as I went. Light suddenly appeared, less than 20 feet away. A room. Exhausted, I crawled faster, the sound of my own breath bouncing off the walls around me. Finally, I broke into the room, spun around, and looked back into the tunnel. Empty. As far as I could see, whatever had been chasing me was gone. For now. Crutchless, I pulled myself to a nearby wall. I slumped against it and caught my breath, eyes locked in the dark tunnel all the while. Just in case. After a few minutes of catching my breath and calming myself down, I looked around. Dirt floors. Plywood walls. This impossibly shifting tunnel had led me into the back corner of a basement. Not just any basement. Paul's basement. Part 11 None of these rules are set in stone. The intruder seems to evolve and react depending on your actions. How I ended up in Paul's basement didn't matter right now. All that matters was how I was going to get out. Easier said than done, especially considering I lost both crutches in the chaos. At least the light was on. For now. Let's pray to God the bunker door wasn't locked. Leaning against the concrete wall for support, I shimmied up onto one foot. Hobbling forward, I maneuvered my way through the maze. One painful step at a time. Tedious didn't even begin to describe it. Nearly three hours went by until I finally found footsteps. The same footsteps from when Paul and I were down here a few days back. Something to follow. Thank God. Encouraged, I shuffled my way forward bit by bit when... A thumping sound. From deep within the maze. A fist thumping against plywood. My heartbeat quickened. I picked up pace. Rounded another corner. More thumping. Quicker now. Closer too. I hobbled faster. My limp cast leg dragging uselessly behind me. More thumping. Two quick thumps. Each time now, like a heartbeat. The rhythm matched the pace of my own heart, getting quicker and quicker as the sound moved even closer. I rounded another corner and finally the exit was in sight. Somehow the bunker door was open, inexplicably open. Another suspiciously convenient blessing. With renewed vigor, I pushed forward. The thumping echoed in the hallway just behind me now. The lights snapped off, pitch black. Only the faint glow of moonlight cast against the basement steps up ahead. Pulling closer, one painful lurch at a time, finally close enough. I pushed off the wall and staggered through the open door, falling chin first into the stairs. Thumping sound right on my heels now. I pushed up, slammed the bunker door shut, and latched the lever down. Close fucking call. I stood motionless at the door, listening for minutes. Nothing. Dead silence. I looked back over my shoulder. The door at the top of the basement steps was open too. Wide open. Bluish moonlight revealed the foyer above. Why were all the doors left open? I turned and used the railing to pull myself forward, another painful and tedious slog. Trying my best to be as quiet as possible, the last thing I wanted was for Paul to wake up and find me crawling out of his basement with no good excuses. After ten minutes of painstaking effort, I finally reached the main floor, the familiar smell of vanilla-flavored cigarette that was hung in the air. On my hands and knees, I crawled towards the front door, going even slower than before so as not to make a sound. When I finally reached the door, I grabbed a sturdy umbrella from a bucket in the corner and used it to push up to standing. A makeshift cane. No match for a crutch, but it beat crawling. I reached the doorknob and froze. A pressure suddenly pushed into my forehead. 
like a migraine without the pain. I rubbed my brow at the back of my thumb, stopped, lowered my hand. That was the weird tick, the thing Howie did, the thing Paul did, the thing Mitch did. When did I start doing it? Why did I start doing it? I shook it off and reached for the door, but again stopped short. Another recurring question bubbled up from my subconscious. Who is Paul's so-called old friend? The person in the room down the hallway he was supposedly taken care of. I peered back over my shoulder, trying to push the curiosity away, trying to just reach the door and leave, but I couldn't. That strange, familiar, almost magnetic pull of needing to know the answers grew stronger with each passing second. I glanced around the foyer. Where did Paul sleep? Save for the basement, it wasn't a big house. There were only three doors in that hallway, and one of them was probably a bathroom. I turned fully around, stepped forward in the foyer, and lurched to another stop. It's not safe here. My survival instinct screamed so profoundly I could almost hear it. Go home. Finally listening to my smarter self, I turned back to the door. Go home and sleep. I turned the knob, and another question jumped to my head. What if Zack's in the room? There's no possible way. Did the timelines even match up? How old would he be now? How would the police not have known? What if it was Zack? Maybe I can get a photo. Take it to the law? My feet were bringing me down the hallway and before my head even made up its mind. Thank God the floors were carpeted or I'd woken up the whole neighborhood. I reached to the floor to the mysterious room and froze. I took three deep, intentional breaths in and out, then reached for the handle. Locked. I tried again. Still locked. Not sure what I expected. I looked around. The house was quiet. Motionless. Almost like everything was on pause. Frozen in time to an unnatural degree. A stillness that reminded me of the first night I found the coat rack. The same unsettling quiet in the air. Another weird thing I didn't have time to think about now. I pulled the switchblade out from my back pocket and shimmied it into the doorframe. I've got a lot of experience with discreetly unlocking doors. Don't ask. I tilted the knife upward, pushed forward off the latch, and... The foyer light clicked on. My view snapped down the hallway, footsteps coming from the living room. I staggered backward out of the hallway into the kitchen. Hello? Paul's voice echoed. How did he get out of here? Was he asleep on the couch? I ducked down beneath the bar, separating the kitchen from the living room. This was not a good situation, no matter how he spun it. Part of me wanted to come out of hiding and explain myself. But at this point, it was probable that Paul was being influenced by the intruder. Either way, I still needed to know who was in that room. Hello? Paul's voice echoed down the hallway this time. I huddled further into the shadowy corner. Listening. Waiting. Paul strode back into the living room. Flicked another light on. A long moment of drained silence. Followed. He was listening too. He was waiting. A long and silent standoff crawled by. Five minutes at least. Then Paul cleared his throat and moved towards the kitchen. His footsteps getting closer and closer until... The floor beneath me jostled slightly. Paul was standing on the opposite side of the bar now. If he leaned forward and peeked down, that was it. I held my breath, knife still in my hand. Shit. I should have tucked it away earlier. Now I really looked crazy. Too late now. Paul was close enough to hear even the slightest movement. Another impossibly long silence dragged by. Seconds like minutes. Minutes like hours. Holding my breath all the while. Growing tenser and tenser until... Flick. The switchblade flicked open. My intense grip must have bumped the switch. Fucking idiot. The floor creaked as Paul stepped back from the counter. 
My head raced a thousand thoughts a second. Paul huffed and stepped forward again. Suddenly the tips of his fingers slipped into view, gripping over the edge of the countertop above me. The bar top bent and strained as he leaned forward, pressing his weight against it, inching closer and closer to peering underneath the counter and seeing my crazy-eyed, sleep-deprived arms with a splitched in. Somewhere in the house, a phone, my savior, vibrated against the wooden surface. Paul huffed again. His hands slipped out of view, and he strode back into the living room, away from the kitchen. Finally, I inhaled a breath of overwhelming relief. A relief that quickly faded when I realized my situation hadn't changed. He'd come back soon enough, and I needed to be somewhere else when he did. Mitch? said Paul, his voice filled with bewilderment. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay, he said, speaking softly. Comforting. Silence. Paul was listening to Mitch now. Or for whatever it was claimed to be Mitch on the other end. At this point, it seemed like fucking anything was possible. You sure it was him? said Paul. Listening. When? More listening. Mm-hmm. A short pause. Did you call the police? Another pause. No, 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 I understand. That makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, Mitch. Not right now, but at some point, we at least have to get some more authorities involved, okay? He's clearly not well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll see you there. He strode back to the living room and pulled the jacket on. What in the fuck was going on here? Were they talking about me? Why was Mitch suddenly talking to his supposedly estranged father? Was that even Mitch? There's no way it was. It had to be the intruder, messing with Paul. But was that even Paul? My head was exploding with an influx of questions. If the intruder's goal was to make me go insane with confusion and paranoia, the mission was accomplished. Congratulations. Paul strode down the hallway again. He was coming back towards the kitchen. Fuck, 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 fuck. He stopped in front of the kitchen entrance, standing in the hallway. His back was mostly turned to me. All he had to do was slightly turn to the right, and the jig was up. Ten long seconds dragged by until finally, he turned towards the mysterious guest room, went for the handle, and... It was locked. Shaking his head, he reached up to the top of the doorframe, slid his hand across, pulled down a key, and unlocked the door. He cracked it open and peered into the dark room. Mitch called, said Paul. Something happened at his place. Gonna see if he's alright. Back in a few hours, give or take. He pulled the door mostly closed and froze. He pushed it open again. Open or close? No audible response. Paul locked the door from the inside, pulled it shut, and tucked the key back on top of the doorframe. He marched back towards the foyer, flicking off the lights as he went. Suddenly he froze. Another long silence drug by and then the foyer lights flicked on again. What was he doing? The answer hit me, like a bag of bricks to the face. The door. I forgot to close the door at the top of the basement stairs. In my defense, it was open when I got here, but I doubted that was Paul's doing. I could hear him creep across the foyer and stop. Now I assumed he was at the top of the basement steps, standing in front of an open door he rarely, if ever, left open. He pulled the door shut, locked it, and wandered back into the foyer. Then he started pacing back and forth, pacing circles. Fuck, 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 he muttered. Clearly in the middle of a panic attack or something even worse. This continued for three long minutes until finally he stormed out of the front door and slammed it shut behind him. Outside, a bike engine turned on, peeled out of the driveway and sped away. Finally. My eyes drifted back towards the guest room, curiosity burning stronger than ever. But I decided to wait three minutes longer, just in case Paul forgot something and came back. Three minutes went by. I crept out into the hallway, using the umbrella as a cane. I hobbled to the door 
reached on top of the frame, slid my hand across, and got the key. I unlocked the door and stopped, hand the knob, breathing deep. What if it was Zack on the other side? What if it really was just an old friend of Paul's? What would I do with the knowledge? Was my obsession for answers really pulling me deeper into this intruder's web? I turned my head sideways and placed my ear against the door. The slow and muffled beep, beep, beep of what sounded like a heart monitor. I leaned back, took a deep breath, turned the knob, and pushed open the door. Gut-wrenching stench hit me like a wall, like rotting food and burnt hair. A smell so strong I could taste it. Turning away, I clenched my eyes shut and buried my nose in my inner elbow. I held there until the stench subsided somewhat. I turned back towards the room. Most of the room was hidden in shadows, cluttered with military-grade medical equipment, heart monitors, IV bags, even a table laden with surgical tools. Near the window was a slightly inclined hospital bed, and on the bed lay a man. Or at least that's what I assumed. He was wrapped in medical bandages. Medical tubes stuck out of his arms, his wrists, even his legs. Bandages covered most of his face, save for his lower jaw and a small slit for the eyes. I crept forward. The slow, rhythmic beep of his heart monitor remained steady. Whoever it was, they weren't aware of my presence. Yet. But I didn't care either way. I just needed to know. I reached the side of the bed and stopped. His eyes were clenched shut, as if pretending to sleep. His exposed jaw scarred and mangled. Parts of his lips were peeled back, exposing teeth below, like a severe burn victim. If this was Zack, I couldn't tell. He wouldn't have been so much older nowadays. Whatever it was, they looked fit for an intensive care unit. Not a guest bedroom. Was Paul keeping them here as a guest to ward off the intruder? I couldn't imagine anyone in their right mind agreeing to this willingly. I was about to turn back when eyes caught something. His wrist was handcuffed to the bed and... Out the hallway, the front door clicked open. A light flicked on. Paul was back. I cast my view around the room, desperately searching for a place to hide when... The man on the bed's eyes snapped open. Cold blue eyes, strikingly similar to Paul's. He was looking straight at me, wide and fearful. Thudding footsteps getting closer. Without thinking, I clambered beneath the bed and pulled my cast leg in behind me, cramped between the tangled wires and green metal crates. The footsteps stopped in the doorway. The bedroom light flicked on. How did you open this? Paul's voice reverberating the room. No response. What's wrong? said Paul. Again, no audible response. Paul huffed, flicked the light off, and pulled the door shut, leaving me alone with the burn victim I'm pretty sure was Paul, or at least some version of him. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the story. I know I said I was going to do part... 12 and 13 as well, but I did not anticipate part 10 and 11 being this long. So next week we'll go ahead and we'll do 12 and 13 and hopefully we'll be caught up by then. Hopefully the author hasn't made 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 by then. If you guys, as always, if you guys enjoy the stories, please share this out to everybody so we can let more people know about the podcast and they can enjoy some of these stories. Also, if you'd like to get some of your stories showcased, you can send them to podcastfear at gmail.com. That's podcastfear at gmail.com. And I will showcase them in one of the stories as soon as I can. I want to thank you guys again for listening to this these stories. And uh, come back next week for parts 12 and 13. And then after that, we will find more and more stories and have a great time. And as always, always face your fears. <laughs>